Fast Money starts right now, and you're looking at a live shot of a very snowy New York City where the snowstorm has wreaked a bit of havoc on our show tonight. I'm Melissa Lee, live from CNBC headquarters in Englewood Cliffs, New Jersey. The weather obviously has kept me from getting to Times Square tonight. Our traders on the desk are Pete Najarian in Las Vegas, Tim Seymour also in Las Vegas, Brian Kelly and Steve Grasso, who did make it safely to the NASDAQ market site. Good to see you all tonight, guys safe and sound. Tonight, check out shares of NVIDIA getting crushed after hours. The company reporting earnings moments ago. Many have called the semis the key to the year-end rally. We'll tell you what the sell-off means for the rest of the space. Plus, it was a fast and furious day on Wall Street with trade headlines giving stocks a bit of whiplash. And one top strategist says, don't hold your breath for a deal anytime soon. He'll tell us what it means for the markets. But we start off with retail rolling over. Take a look at shares of Nordstrom sinking in the after-hour session on its earnings report and it's just the latest retailer to get wrecked. Macy's is down 15% in the last week. Kohl's down 11%. Target down 8% and Walmart down 5%. But just like the last song here last Christmas, we saw a big year-end rally in the group. So are these retail stocks on sale ahead of a holiday surge or is there more pain ahead? Steve Grosso, you made it to the Nasdaq. You get the gold ribbon tonight, you get to right. take off the show. <laughs> yeah, so I think it is a problem with retail stocks. They've all, they've all been up on the year. But, you know, we had Apple warning about the holiday season, Amazon warning about the holiday season. Retail's a big part of it, obviously. They already had a big run thus far this year. I don't think they're out of the woods, and I do think they're in for a lot more selling heading into year-end. Yeah, Brian Kelly, I guess some people were questioning as to whether or not the, re- the retail rally that we've seen was actually based on fundamentals, or was it a technical unwind of a long yeah. Amazon short bricks-and-mortar trade? I think that certainly was the spark here, right? Mm-hmm. And then there was this hope that we would have this kind of year-end holiday rally. But based on these numbers, and even based on the Walmart numbers that we saw this morning, Walmart numbers were fine, uh, but people think that perhaps top lines is topping out. So you look at Walmart, you look at Nordstrom's, uh, and it doesn't paint a very good picture. The one thing in the Nordstrom's report that I thought was interesting is Nordstrom's rack did actually pretty well. Without that, things would have been not so great. So that makes me start to look at maybe something like a TJ Maxx. Maybe in this environment, TJ Maxx is the beneficiary. You say TJ Maxx, and who do I think of? I uh, think of Pete and Jerry again, right? Not Maxinista, Pete. So, so what Definitely do you make of retail not. here? Do you go to the discounter thinking that's the best trade around? Yes, absolutely. I, I, I've thought that for a long time, and I still think that. I think, you know, when you look at different retailers, obviously, they're different entities altogether. I mean, when you look at Walmart, for instance, with 56% of their revenue after just reporting of that coming from grocery mill, that's a low margin business. So that's something also that it needs to be kept in mind, especially when you ca- try to compare a Walmart with a Target or something like that. But absolutely, I think the discounters, and I, I've thought that for a while now, because even though we've had this, we did have this very strong move in retail to the upside and was kind of fighting against a lot of the selling that we'd seen in other areas. I think at some point, some of these names do look a little bit elevated, and I think Walmart would be one of those names. It seemed like everybody re-fell in love with the whole Walmart story, but when you look at Walmart and you do compare it to a Target, for instance, and you look at where the P.E. levels are, the P.E. level of Target is significantly lower than a Walmart, and they've got better margins. So I think you just have to go throughout the space and just try to make your best picks in terms of the discount names that you prefer and what the makeup is of these various companies. And I think you've got to use that in your favor. And because of that, and because of the fact that Target, you've only got about 20% in grocery, that doesn't hurt the margins nearly as much because of the fact they've got better margin areas. TJ Maxx, by the way, they just continue to go higher and higher. The strength that they've got and the management team that they've got, and of course, 
the home goods aspect of it as well has been something very good and they're slowly but surely trying to build that mm -hmm. e-commerce end as well and that's something that has to be you know recognized and saluted in terms of TJ Maxx. Tim you've been in and out of uh, a few retail names Macy's, L yeah. Brands, where are you right now? Well, first of all, and, and on, on Walmart and Target, I mean, uh -huh. I am not in love with Walmart, to be clear. I mean, I think ultimately this is a dynamic where uh, I think the cost base for uh, a lot of these brick-and-mortar retailers continues to go higher on the labor front. I think Walmart continues to have to compete on price, and they're trying to win the grocery war against Amazon, who's made this. They've laid a flag down in the ground. So Walmart, I think you'd be certainly fading any strength. And if anything, I don't like that valuation. I think it still trades expensive to itself. Back to, you know, Nordstrom's. First of all, look, people want to see these guys growing online. Uh, they're online sales are up 20%. That's a little disappointing. Uh, it's still 30% of their on, of their overall sales, and that's constructive. People want to see some of the change in tide for the department stores who have remade some of their business. I think Macy's has done a better job. The sell-off here in, in, in Nordstrom, though, I mean, this is a two- or three-day event, event now going into these numbers, and it's extraordinary. And, and I would make an argument that there's some starting to get to be some value there. You know, what's pretty, what's pretty amazing, though, is that Macy's actually put up a pretty good print, yeah. and it's down 18% from when it reported earnings. So that mark means, means to me that it doesn't matter what these guys put up, there's that trade where you open up the show with where people are just mass exodus out of retail again and maybe going back into Amazon. But, but maybe, hold on, maybe it's not so much technical. I mean, maybe part of it is technical. Maybe also there should be concern about the U.S. consumer. I mean, BK, I know you've pointed this all the time, but automakers, home builders, right. it's not like every indicator of, cons of the consumer has been going gangbusters this year. Right. We, we've already started to see things slowing and then add into it some of the cost pressures they're having. So trucking starts to cost a little bit more. We heard about uh, wages going up and Bernie Sanders, what he wants Walmart wages to go up. So as Pete mentioned, they're in this low margin business. Now all of a sudden you have cost pressures coming in. It's just not a great environment. Add into that interest rates going higher, credit card bills yeah, going higher. It's just not, they don't have the tailwind that they used to have. We, and, we and can, we, commit, Melissa, though, you, we cannot impute what's going on in auto and housing on terms of the, the entire consumer. The consumer's not rolling over. The consumer's certainly never been, I, I would argue, in a long time in a better place in terms of their overall confidence. Consumer confidence is near, uh, you know, 20-year highs. You basically have labor and, and wage gains that we haven't seen since the crisis. And to say that because some of these companies are figuring out their business model, that the consumer is rolling over. Autos have a specific I don't, issue. I don't we know. pulled forward a lot of sales. The auto sales, to me, are not the same as talking about the retailers doing I think doing we need a double box tonight. I think we've I got mean, a lot of boxes, I mean, but I feel like on, we need exactly. a double here. We need yeah. a double with Tim and BK. I, I actually think you can. You can draw the line between them, particularly when you look at the earnings here. I mean, earnings are not great in the retail sector. Top line is not necessarily great in the retail sector. At best, at best, Walmart's uh, top line is flattening at this point in time. So, you know, at some point in time, you have to say, yeah, you know what? There are things that are slowing down. Doesn't mean that the consumer is dead. Just means it's not as great as it was six months ago. Amazon was probably the one place where they warned on the holiday season you should be concerned. But but everywhere else, when I hear about Apple's warning also about their uh, their outlook, first of all, that was emerging markets. That was FX headwinds. Uh, what's going on in the auto sector is arguably what's been going on in the auto sector for two years. I mean, the auto, st the auto stocks and certainly the story, despite great numbers by GM, decent numbers by Ford, mm -hmm. um, has not been rewarded by the market here. And what's going on in, in, the, in the housing market, let's be clear, what's been the housing market in terms of home builders' pain has been a gain for Lowe's and Home Depot. Those two stocks are riding high relative, off their highs somewhat. But you can't tell me that those guys aren't beating on the terms of their top line, 
Well, Home Depot ultimately, to me, on, on the multiple well, Home is Depot beat in the third quarter, multiple. but didn't raise their fourth quarter commensurately, right? So that effectively yeah, this, was. This but we've said that the consumer Tim, is falling apart here. Right. I mean, come on. It's not even close to that. <laughs> this, right. is, this, oh, slowing, is this is slowing, though. This is a rotation. KB Homes is down, here. is down 45% year to date based on lumber costs. Lumber costs have collapsed. Interest rates are actually lower now. We're moving sideways. This is getting a home builder on a dramatic sale. This is about rotation, not about fundamentals. All right. For more on Nordstrom uh, and the retail space, let's go off the charts with Todd Gordon of TradingAnalysis.com, who is over at the Plasma. There you are, Todd. Hey, Melissa. <laughs> there you are. Wow. Magic. How you doing? Um, obviously not a good report here for Nordstrom. Uh, we're down almost 9% after hours. The options market were, was pricing for options that expire tomorrow that cover the earnings. A $5 move, higher or lower. That's what we call the expected move. We're down over 5 from the close, which is just about $59. So we've exceeded the expected move. Obviously bad news. Thanks a lot, Todd, right? So if we get out to the daily chart, just look at is there any kind of technical support here in Nordstrom JWN? I will show you that there actually is. And as we flip over here, you're going to see that the breakout in Nordstrom uh, was right around the 53 to 54. So we have a huge, huge channel, a huge consolidation that broke. Shorts that are caught would use this as a synthetic short. Uh, support level, I should say, this is where we're coming back to right now, just at about the $53 region. So for the sake of a technical trader and analyst like myself, we better hold that because, again, what was resistance becomes support. So if we start to break through 53, that's a problem for Nordstrom. Uh, just to put this whole kind of retail uh, conversation in perspective here, I'm actually seeing some some nice hope, some, some good strength in the retail, the XRT. Um, again, Massive consolidation here, um, underperforming the S&P. The S&P has traded to new highs relative to this 2015 peak. But what I'm seeing just recently in this XRT is, is encouraging. This right here is XRT, I'll try to draw that in, into the S&P. So if this chart is going higher, XRT, sorry, that's ugly, is performing better than the S&P. And you're starting to see that relative ratio begin to move up. And there's a lot of strong names in there like AutoZone and Ulta Beauty and Walgreens. So if we could all of a sudden kind of get some support and start to move higher, perhaps that retail trade would catch up. So not all bad here in the retail um, sector. So I'm sorry, Todd, if, you, if you're saying that if we see some strength, in the S&P 500, then we'll see the retail sector show some signs of strength, too? I think that's going to be a tough one to say retail leads the S&P higher sure. F- for sure. Um, but, but we're reliant on an overall market move higher in order to trade as, XRT to the upside? As a trader, I always use the index as my guide, my particular mm-hmm. style of trading and analysis. But another thing I would, I would put in front of you, Mel, is on the daily chart here, as we're moving up towards those 2015 highs, you're starting to see a little bit of symmetry. That's another thing that we technicians look for. This was about a $7 drop right here. We've had a nice move up. This was $6 in change. We're starting to move up. You're starting to see these pullbacks be similar in length, which is showing some pattern, some rhythm, some structure, which, again, if the market can stabilize, <laughs> perhaps XRT catch-up trade uh, can go to work. So I'm constructive. All right. Thanks, Todd. Sure. Uh, Pete Najarian, I want to get your take on Todd's charts. Would you trade XRT yep. to the upside here? Well, yeah, I think I think so. But I, I would actually say this, Mel. I still think you want to pick your individual names, right? I mean, when I look out in the names, I think there are brand names and then there are absolutely specific names that I think can do much are better than some of the other Are you going to say Target? Names. 
No, actually, you know where I'll what? go? I'll go you with the brand. I'll give you a Lululemon, right? <laughs> I mean, the other day I pitched Lululemon. Yes, I know it's got a high PE, but when you look at growth and you look at the story there, that's one of those names, Mel, that doesn't have nearly the international exposure, even though that's an area they do need to grow, but that's something that they're working on. But U.S.-centric, and Tim was just talking about, we have not seen the U.S. consumer completely fall apart. And to Tim's point, they are still going out and shopping, Mel. So mm -hmm. I think if you're going brands, that's one of those brands. If you're looking at some of the names, when you look, and Tim brought up Home Depot, I'll give you a good example there. That was a $210-plus stock that now is at a discount 15% off those highs. I think that's one of those names. I already own Lowe's, but now I'm relooking at Home Depot. I thought it was in front of itself, and now I think it's giving us an opportunity again And because I don't think that they're going to get hammered just because the housing market, where, where they are right now. I think Home Depot still serves a different audience than just specifically the housing market. And if you go over time, you'll see Home Depot, the stock, has performed significantly differently, for instance, than the builders. I go to your Vegas uh, brother, Tim. I was going to say, the <laughs> Vegas boys are totally like you know, in tandem here. Um, I like what Pete has to say uh, in response also just to Todd's charts, and I'm not pushing back on Todd. In fact, I, I would just say the good news for retail investors is the XRT since Christmas of last year is basically flat to the S&P. So, so think about it. We've gone from a place where people were assuming a lot of these businesses were essentially had existential issues that were going out of business or we were not going to see them ever be able to compete with Amazon. It's a different world. By the way, we're going into a holiday season, and if you remember last year, the XRT outperformed the S&P by probably probably 18 to 20 percent through the summer. Um, it's given some of that back, but, but I, I just think people are overdoing it. L Brands is another name on the specialty retail side, which I think has gotten some of its act together. Again, it's all relative victories. But again, look at the chart on this stock back above the 200. If it holds that, very bullish. All right, guys, check out shares of NVIDIA getting absolutely crushed after hours. We're getting ready for that conference call to get started. We'll bring you the very latest details. Plus, another Facebook fail. New reports about the lack of leadership at the social media giant through a year of turmoil. What can Facebook fix? The traders will weigh in. And later, Pot Sox lighting up the John Boehner-backed cannabis company Acreage Holdings, making a multi-billion dollar splash going public in Canada today. The CEO, Kevin Murphy, will join us live. Much more Fast Money on this very snowy night right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another black eye for Facebook as a bombshell report claims Mark Zuckerberg, Sheryl Sandberg and other executives tried to spin bad news. And the stock has paid the price down more than 30 percent from its all time highs. Julia Borson is live in Los Angeles with the full story, the details of the story, as well as the responses. Julia. Melissa, Mark Zuckerberg hosting a media conference call today in which he discussed the allegations of mismanagement laid out in the New York Times expose. Zuckerberg going on the defensive, saying they're working to make progress on these issues of, and, the, and that these issues of manipulation and the sharing of fake news on Facebook are never entirely solved. I've said many times before that we were too slow to spot Russian interference, too slow to and too slow to get on top of it. And we've certainly stumbled along the way. But to suggest that we weren't interested in knowing the truth or that we wanted to hide what we knew or that we tried to prevent investigations is simply untrue. Zuckerberg on the conference call today also discussing what he called a blueprint for content governance and enforcement, which he published today, saying that the company is taking steps to be more proactive rather than reactive, and they're working on reducing the spread of sensationalist content, among other things. 
in general, there, there are a lot of issues here that we were behind on. And, and I think a lot of the, um, the critique of the company is fair, uh, and a lot of the feedback has been very important for us to take in order to learn and do better because we feel like we have a responsibility to do that, and that's our, our primary goal here. Now, responding to a specific allegation in that New York Times report, Zuckerberg said that both he and Sheryl Sandberg were not aware that Facebook had engaged D.C. consulting firm Definers to work for them. The New York Times laid out how that firm was tied to articles spreading misinformation about Facebook's critics. Melissa, back to you. All right, Julia, thank you. Julia Borston in Los Angeles. So what can fix Facebook? Pete, is this, one, an investable story or be a tradable story in your view? I would say I'd put it more on the investable side, Mel, and the reason I would say that is this. What, what the problem has been is this has been a disaster since the minute this first the news really broke. And as Zuckerberg points out, they need to be much more proactive than reactive, and that's been part of the problem. Now, they have finally gotten reactive in terms of they told us several quarters ago how much money they were going to spend. Well, that actually took the stock down even further, right, because then the concerns became how much will they have to spend to get themselves here. I think what Zuckerberg doesn't really understand and what most of the market right now, now is not really understanding is this is something that's going to take time. And what I mean by that is, they're going to have to prove to us that they have cleaned up their act. And it doesn't seem like they have because it seems as if Facebook finds itself in front of folks every couple of weeks. We're mm -hmm. hearing some story about something. And because of that, that just remains and lingers as the problem. And then the stock continues on this downward slide. I mean, this is a 200 plus dollar stock that now is trading in the very low 140s, upper 130s here and there. So, I mean, the problem right now is, Mel, when you look at 19 times, though, and you look at some of the verticals that do have growth and you see what's going on with Instagram versus its competition, there's a lot of bullish things that you can look at there. But right. Facebook itself has been the problem. And that's the big headache because of the fact that they're going to keep having to spend more and more and more money. Mm -hmm. And they don't even know how to fix fixed. it, though. So, Pete, you hit it on the head. They don't even know how to fix the problem. So You're right. they can't tell us what the costs are to fix the problem. And every time they think they get ahead above water, something else drenches them it's once like again. It's like whack-a-mole. It's like whack-a-mole. Right? So they always have a problem. But I will tell you, down 18% year to date, the one that has reaped the benefit of Facebook being in the, in the bullseye for social is Twitter. Twitter's up 38% year-to-date. Somehow, they've avoided this. So I would continue to avoid Facebook, go to a lateral, play Twitter. Different game, different scenario, but seems to be working out better if you're investing money You know, there's there. a line in that New York Times uh, article this morning that basically said to the effect of what's happened at Facebook has basically fractured the political consensus that protected Facebook as well as the other big, big tech companies out there. Meaning all of a sudden, reining these guys in has become a, partisan, a bipartisan issue. Both sides see yes. a role for government to play uh, in, in the future of these big tech companies. And, and what does that tell you, BK, that tells you maybe the best days are behind these yeah. guys in terms well, of making money? Yeah, I think, I mean, beyond the that, it reminds days, me, I should say. It reminds me very much of the environment after the financial crisis with the banks, right? They were the bad guy in that particular case. And I don't want to get into arguing about who was or wasn't, but it reminds me of that very much. Secondarily, I view this as we are at peak centralization of the web. We have Web 3.0 coming online, and that's an S threat to Facebook's business. The fact that Web data is not going to be going through their servers any anymore, means they have less information to sell to advertisers. And until they solve that problem, I think Facebook's a no-touch. All right. For more on the Facebook fallout and what management got wrong, 
go to CNBC.com. I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Here's what else is coming up from a snowy New York City tonight. We have a deal. Deal or no deal. Let's make a deal. So what is the deal? That's what everyone in Wall Street is wondering. But one top strategist says, don't expect a trade deal anytime soon. And he'll tell you what it means for the market. Plus, hot stocks are lighting up as another multi-billion dollar cannabis company just hit the market. The CEO will join us in an exclusive interview. There's much more Fast Money after the break. And as people Welcome back to Fast Money. A wild day for the markets. The Dow sinking nearly 300 points at the lows of the session, then reversing to end the day up by about 200 points amid more twists and turns in the U.S.-China trade war. Elon Moy is live in Washington, D.C. with more on this developing story. Elon. Melissa, there has been a lot of confusion over the status of negotiations. So let's start with what we actually know. We know that top U.S. officials and top Chinese officials are talking. I confirmed today that Treasury Undersecretary David Malpass, who heads up international affairs, he held a video conference call with his Chinese counterparts to prepare for the G20. We also know that China has sent a letter to the U.S. outlining its position. We don't know exactly what that position is. Reuters reporting that it includes 142 points to negotiate. We do know that, broadly speaking, that letter is unlikely to move the ball. There was also a report in the FT today that U.S. Trade Representative Bob Lighthizer has told industry groups that the final tranche of tariffs on Chinese goods, that $260 billion or so that is not taxed, that is on hold until after the G20. However, in a statement to CNBC, his office said that Lighthizer has made no representations that future tariffs are on hold. The plan has not changed at all, and any reports to the contrary are incorrect. Look, guys, my sources are cautioning that all of these nuggets that are leaking out are just part of the normal process of preparing for a big meeting between two world leaders. But, Melissa, we know this is a president who likes to operate off the cuff. So it is significant that his administration appears to be taking this meeting seriously. Back over to you. All right, Elon. Thank you, Elon Moy in Washington, D.C. Tim Seymour. The problem is that lots of little bits of these little things get leaked out. And while this may be par for the course when it comes to a lot of trade negotiations, uh, I don't know if we're really used to this much information and trading every tick. Well, I don't think the market has any confidence in the information. I realize that the market is moving and we're getting some gyrations here or there. But but I think the the point we want to emphasize is... This trade discussion is not about manufacturing jobs in a rust belt state. This is about technology transfer. This is about theft. This is about global strategic intentions. And this isn't going to change quickly. So um, the the irony from a market's perspective, or maybe this is good news, forget irony, is is that actually emerging markets and China have outperformed the S&P since October 1, since the volatility. So we always talked about, hey, the rest of the world, when does this catch up to us? Um, You know, we're effectively seeing that. It's not like they've done so well. In fact, on a net basis, these markets are kind of sideways. Um, but they, certainly the U.S. Is, is underperformed here, and that is something that people should think about how they're trading. So I mean, to, to, to Tim's point, Melissa, when mm-hmm. you look at Alibaba off the October lows, Alibaba's up 21% off the lows against an Amazon that's up 7%, against an S&P that basically was up 2% or 2.5%. So you're looking at all these large-cap 
China tech plays. That's the way to play it because the worst seems to be out of the way, or at least it's getting a little bit of a pass for a couple of months, maybe. Wait, wait, the worst well, seems to be out of the way? I yeah. would think that most of this stuff has to be priced in to a certain extent. We were worried about tariffs hitting really? on Jan 1. You think, you think the next round of tariffs is priced in? You think that the tariffs that are in place that are 10%, that are going to go to 25%, they th- are priced in I too? Think the, I think the next round of tariffs no. were priced in, and today you got a little bit of a reprieve, and people said, all right, maybe we'll dip our toe back in. So they were priced in to the extent that they could be without actually taking effect. I feel like Brian Uh, Kelly is probably sitting right next to you wants to smack you right now. I'm I'm skeptical of this whole thing. I mean, maybe they were were priced in, maybe they weren't priced in, but I'm skeptical. These leaks happen to come out every time the market's down. How come these leaks don't come out when the market's up two or three hundred points? I mean, I'm completely skeptical that anything is actually going on, and I don't think we're going to go anywhere. Pete, what do you do? Well, you know, I think you still, you always go for quality, Mel. I mean, we all know the story. Every one of the guys is talking about it right now. And BK makes a very good point. We always hear these talks are getting together again when we see the market down. And we were down significantly today. I mean, it was pretty interesting early in the morning, down over 200 points, and only to watch the market rally back. But when you look at some of the quality names that did start to move the upside and some of the names that we do actually already know some of the results of, even with the, the clarity not being there for, for instance, a Caterpillar, as inexpensive as that stock is, the reason that it's trading where it is even right now after the nice move of today, the reason it's trading there right now is because of the uncertainty going forward. But at least there was some reprieve today. So that's something I think you hang your hat on. But you do go to quality. Look at J.P. Morgan. Obviously, Buffett gave the help to that bump today. But he went for quality, which is something that Warren Buffett always does. So I think when you're looking in this market, and we have these days where we're down 200 points, whether the president tweets or some sort of story out there exists or not, What'd you buy you then? Look- What'd you buy? I bought the EEM today. Right. I already had pieces of the EEM, but I added to the EEM today. I still don't believe in GE. I think that's going lower. Still ahead. Talk about a chip wreck. NVIDIA crashing after its earnings report. We'll tell you what is investors running scared and get instant reaction to the charts. Plus, bats fight back. Baidu, Baba, Tencent, Sina rallying today after caving in the last few months. We'll tell you which names the traders could think fly even higher. Much more Fast Money straight ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Chipmaker NVIDIA moving 17% lower in the after-hour session following the earnings release. That conference call is getting ready to kick off. Let's get to Josh Lipton out in San Francisco with the very latest. Josh. So, Mel, a report and a forecast here that obviously really disappointed investors. The company execs saying they are dealing with excess channel inventory post the cryptocurrency boom, they say. I did check in with a, a few analysts. I'll quickly bring you their comments. Ruben Roy of MKM, his point to me was that investors were expecting a lower guide, but he just says the magnitude we saw here uh, certainly below the whisper numbers. He also notes gross margin for Q3, 60.4% versus the guidance of 62.6%. The data center, he also noted, did decelerate a bit in Q3. You can bet and also have plenty of questions about that on the call. Mitch Steves over at RBC. Uh, Now, Mitch told me he doesn't think this report actually does change the long-term thesis when it comes to NVIDIA, but he does think it does materially change the company's expected growth rate. And that's the question he says investors have to answer. How much do you think it decelerates in the quarters ahead? And finally, Gary Mobley over the benchmark company. This quarter follows a period of excess, and he says demand for crypto-related GP 
GPUs falling off a cliff. And the positive uh, side, though, he did say products based on that new Turing architecture seeing faster than expected adoption. That call just started. We'll be on it and bring you headlines as they come. Melissa, back to you. All right. Thanks a lot, Josh Lipton in San Francisco. Now, as you all know by now, we are getting hit with a pretty big snowstorm here in the Northeast. And unfortunately, Guy Adami couldn't make it uh, to the show tonight. But he was so excited about NVIDIA and the after hours crush that we're seeing in the stock that he decided to call in from effectively his snowmobile in the, from the middle of nowhere. I'm not really sure where you are, Guy. Um, but we have NVIDIA. It's down 17%. We had a warning from AMAT, too. So the data points aren't lining up for a pretty picture here. No. Hi, Melms. And hi, everybody. And, you know, I, this is how long have we been on air now? If we make it to January, 12 years, I've never missed a show in terms of traffic. This is the first, number one. And I've never cursed on air, and I'm not going to start now. But I will <laughs> tell you something that the people in charge in New Jersey and the, the surrounding areas clearly were not prepared for this. But I digress. NVIDIA. The other night, we, Coco Beware did options action. And one of the comments I made is, you know, this is not an environment to try to play earnings for these multiple stocks. And I didn't know if it was going up or down, but I knew it's one of those you just got to sit on the sidelines. So what does it mean now? Well, Goldman Sachs put it on their conviction buy list back in October. They're going to have to rethink that, as do a lot of analysts now. That 20% guide lower for the fourth quarter is significant, and I didn't realize NVIDIA was just a crypto company. I love the fact that they're blaming it almost entirely on that. So, you know, stocks overshoot to the upside. They overshoot to the downside. What you're hoping for tomorrow, if you're bullish, is that it trades north 50 million shares, which would be about three and a half, four times normal volume, and maybe we see some sort of a capitulatory bottom. But I got to tell you something, although this 168 level is important, I think you could see it overshoot down to about 135, 140. And we've been hearing about the slowdown from uh, crypto demand for a while now, uh, BK, but to be fair, they've also blamed slowness in data center, which could possibly be a read through to Intel as well as gaming. Yeah, I, I don't. This is not about crypto. It's a very small part of their business anyway. Off, crypto has been down since January, February, right. the high. So it really shouldn't shock anybody at this point in time that demand from crypto is down. Perhaps they made a mistake. Perhaps they overbought their inventory too much and they just didn't realize it. They're trying to blame it on a very small part of their business. If this is about if they're going to blame it on crypto. It makes me nervous about the whole environment that they're operating in. I actually thought that the biggest headwind for NVIDIA was going to be trade. And it's not trade. It's gaming and it's data centers. If gaming and data centers aren't performing, you really run out of room to pay that premium for growth. So I'm very shocked by the earnings and I'm very surprised that it's trading down this much. And I'm very disappointed as well. Guy, we're going to let you go so you can focus on where you're steering that snowmobile. (laughs) We hope you get I'm, home I'm telling safely. you, Bell, I am, I am, you, you know when I get fired up, the Sicilian in me comes out, so it's probably a good <laughs> idea. <laughs> Stay clear, Guy, New Jersey. <laughs> All right, Guy, we'll see you later. Get home safely. Um, for more instant analysis on NVIDIA earnings as well as the semi-space, let's get back to the plasma with Todd Gordon of TradingAnalysis.com. Uh, what are you looking at, Todd? Pretty ugly chart there. Yeah, it really is. Um, and uh, <laughs> the options market, we're expecting a $15 move, higher or lower. That's the expected move again. Uh, We closed at 202 in NVIDIA. That puts you down about 185 expected move, takeoff, $20 below that. So obviously a bomb of a, of a report here, trading down 17% in the after hour. So let's just kind of put the NVIDIA chart in perspective. Guy said it, uh, the 170 was key. It actually goes back, my dates, right about December of, of last year, 170 to 172 
Really would have been a nice support level, but tonight's earnings report certainly took care of that. So we do have uh, potentially lower prices. I would say, was it a shocker that we came back and approached this level pre-earnings? No. If you take a look at the relative strength index, which is basically just if you throw a baseball in the air, it can continue to go higher, but at a decreasing rate of change, at some point, the apex will set in and it sells off. I think the approach to this level was a result of lower highs, decreasing momentum on the way up in NVIDIA. This drop right here, as I said, is a bit of an issue here. So uh, guys, 130, 140 certainly could make sense. But is all hope lost for the semis? And with all the volatility that we've seen here, I'd say as a, as a simple-minded technician, as I like to refer to myself as, simple let's top. put this all in perspective. <laughs> We're talking from the credit crisis lows, 2009. There's been two major declines here in SMH, semiconductor holders. Number one, 29%. Number two, 27%. So far, we've only seen a 23% decline. Right. So it's within what we've seen on, on terms of a downtrend here. So even if we were to get to another 27 percent decline, that gives you an SMH at eighty two dollars. So we're still well off that. And even, you know, that's just a fine, normal pullback here over the last 10 years. So is it catastrophic? No. So as we get on to the daily here, um, SMH, there's that that low right about here. We've got a nice move up. We sold off. We made a higher low. I actually added some AMD to my portfolio yesterday. It's being drugged down by NVIDIA. But I still do think that we are okay. SMH is trading just about 80, I think about 85 after hours. I have to go back and check that quote. But certainly not in, in jeopardy of breaking these, these lows. Um, the conversation earlier was interesting. Um, you guys are talking about semis and emerging markets. FXI, which is very correlated to the SMH, made a low two days prior to the NASDAQ and the S&P. So you're actually starting to see emerging markets, Asia, China begin to move up, and they weren't participating in the downside. I use that as kind of a signal to begin to move in. So I like it. Um, Apple obviously ties in very much with the tip. And just real quick, 200-day moving average. It's just a normal run-through, I think. I also added Apple. I'm constructive on the space. All right. Thanks for that, Todd. Todd Gordon, TradingAnalysis.com. Uh, Tim Seymour. I don't yes. know, SMH to uh, 82, that implies $7 uh, from its close today. Yeah, look, I mean, the, on semis, you're, you're about 8% off the lows. Todd pointed about where we are in this pullback. Um, I think it's constructive that we've seen a bounce. But remember, we went down 18% in October alone. Uh, the EM has outperformed the S&P, as I said, by almost 6% off the lows in January. So you are seeing a little divergence there. Remember, NVIDIA is it just another one of these leadership stocks, even if you're not going to put it in an Amazon class, is now down about 15% this year. Um, you know, Where's the leadership come from? I'm not sure. Pete, you've liked Intel in the past. It's been a relative outperformer. Um, the yeah. weakness, though, in data center for NVIDIA, is that a read through in your, in your mind to Intel, which, by the way, announced a buyback after the bell today? Yeah, my, my hunch is that I think Intel's actually making moves and actually starting to get into a better competition and winning more ah. in, in the data center. And, and also, let's look at that NVIDIA report. My goodness sakes. I mean, the fact that their gross margins were in a couple of percent and the fact that crypto was as weak as it was, and then you start looking at deceleration in the data center. I mean, that's negative, negative, negative. But the, look at that stock. That stock, when you look at where it was at its highs in October, it's $130 or more off of those highs. So now you're starting to look at an NVIDIA that does make you start to get a little bit more interested because the PE level's getting a little bit, a lot more appetizing, quite frankly. Even though Todd said 130 to, to 140, to Todd Gordon, he says he doesn't mean to be simple, but you look simple at time. 130 to 140, uh, you know, as the level that NVIDIA could hit. There's a lot of downside, Pete. 
That's a lot of downside. That certainly is. But I'll tell you what, with options, that's a way to play something mm. like this if you're looking for a bounce. All right. Still ahead, U.S. pot stock acreage holdings sparking up as it makes its Canadian market debut. This is the company backed by former House Speaker John Boehner. We'll talk to the CEO in just a few minutes. Plus, Chinese Internet stocks bouncing back today after getting beaten up over the last month. One of the traders says now could be the perfect time to buy. We will explain when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Take a look at shares of the pot company backed by John Boehner. Acreage Holdings, a stock went public today in Canada. And we're joined now by Acreage Holdings CEO Kevin Murphy. Kevin, great to have you with us. Great to be with you and thank you for having me. Congratulations on your Canadian debut. I got to ask you what you plan on doing with that money and how you're allocating that to give us an idea of where you see the most growth in the future. Is it for U.S. expansion? Is it for the full legalization and and you know, legalization of edibles in a couple of years in Canada? Is it abroad? How are you allocating the money? We're U.S. focused. Today with 33 states with a medical program and 10 of which we, which have a, uh, an adult use program, we have a lot of work to do here in the United States. Today we have 18 states. We look to expand quite quickly to the rest of the states and be a dominant player in the United States. You know, recently, you know, in the past, I don't know, 10 days or so, Kevin, there seemed to be a growing belief that things would change or could change drastically in the United States in terms of legalization. Pete Sessions is out. Jeff Sessions is out. A couple of states at least partially legalized marijuana for medical and or uh, recreational use. What do you see the landscape looking like in a couple of years? We could not be more excited about the opportunity today. This at this moment in time, it's like catching lightning in a bottle. We have the opportunity now, with the House changing over and compassionate care advocates like Congressman Joyce and others being elected to office and others that have been naysayers historically about the cannabis space are being elected out of office. From our vantage point, we could not be in a better position for 2019 to pass the state's act. So it's your thinking that this is a bipartisan issue and you've got the biggest voices against cannabis legalization out of the way at this point. Should that be in your valuation? Should that be factored into Acreage's valuation? We think we have a very fair valuation today and today is our first day of trading. We couldn't be more excited about being a public company and having the optionality with that balance sheet. With that, we're going to look to utilize it in a prudent manner to maximize returns for our investor base. All right. Kevin, you're at the Marijuana Business Daily Conference, and our contributor, Tim Seymour, is in Vegas for that conference as well. He's got a question for you, Tim. Yes, I am. It's a shame I'm not standing next to you, Kevin. But I I think congrats on on the performance to this point. Your investors have done very well by investing in your company. How should investors now, how should we be judging you going forward? I think a lot of investors are concerned about investing in the sector and trying to understand valuations. How can we keep up with acreage and, and really determine whether you guys are doing what you said you're supposed to do? We expect you will. Thank you, Tim. Today we have a poll position in the United States. We have 18 states and we look to grow from here. Our view is from here, it's the goal to capture the rest of the United States and the rest of the illicit market. We're in the early innings of this industry. 10 years ago, this industry didn't exist. Today, 
It's the fastest growing industry in the United States of America. And all we're striving for now is a fair tax code with the elimination of 280E and better banking for everyone in the industry. With that, today the regulated market is a $9 billion market. It's estimated that this market today is between $100 and $200 billion in size in the U.S. alone. It's our, it's our ball to drop, and our goal now is to capture the rest of the country. All right. Kevin, thank you so much. Hope you'll check back with us sometime soon and give us your progress report. Kevin Murphy of Acreage Holdings on his Canadian market debut. Now, by the way, Tim is long a number of names, also sits on advisory boards for three cannabis stocks. And for all of Tim's disclosures, you can go to fast.cnbc.com. But, Tim, uh, we mentioned that you were at the conference. What, what are some of the big themes there? Well, the bottom line is, first of all, Acreage is coming public today. Uh, Harvest, Jardin, there's, there's, there's enormous capital markets pipeline. That speaks to the amount of interest and, and seriously, the opportunity. Um, this is the biggest conference by far that this uh, growing industry has ever seen, and it's, in fact, dwarfed anyone of its kind. Uh, the sophistication of both the investors and, frankly, the operators that I've met with. I've met with 15 different companies that are dedicated consumer brands companies. So uh, the stuff that's most interesting to me is what I'm seeing in terms of OTC pain, wellness, uh, again, led by consumer consumer products veterans, frankly, who mm-hmm. I think are going to be building companies that are going to be around for a long time, sitting side by side, everybody else. I mean, the pharmaceutical market, Pete, is enormous. Just the use of CBD, which is the non-THC component of the cannabis plant, Pete. Is, I mean, are you in Vegas for this conference, too, or are you just sitting by the pool? <laughs> I'm actually here for, for this conference as well and yeah. involved uh, similarly to Tim. And I'll tell you what's really interesting. If you go back three years ago, there were 50 booths. Now there's 1,500. That gives you a little bit of the, the, the scope of what we're seeing here right now, which is unbelievable. And I know Tim's talked to this many different times. I do lean towards the medical side of what could be used here. CBD oil, no THC, some of that type of idea. There are so many different ways, Mel. The most difficult thing we all have to deal with right now is... We have to deal with the legalization aspects of it, mm-hmm. but also trying to figure out who's going to win in this whole thing and how do you put on valuations on some of these companies. That's what makes this so complicated, and that's why there are so many participants, because there are opportunities in every different aspect of what cannabis really does offer us. Okay, guys, uh, we do have a quick update on Nordstrom earnings, so let's go to Eric Chemi uh, for the details. Eric. Well, listen, Nordstrom shares getting hit in after-hours trading on weak revenue guidance for the year. For the current quarter, quick clarification, though, it looks like they beat expectations on EPS. Earlier, Refinitiv, a company that puts out earnings expectations, compared to an unadjusted number, which would have been a big miss. Bottom line, they beat by a penny, but the shares are still down on that guidance. Back to you. All right, Eric, uh, thanks for clarifying that. Eric Chami here in the newsroom. Well, if you can't get enough, by the way, of the weed trade, you're in luck because uh, check out the Kramer cam. There's Jim talking to the CEO of another pod company that went public in Canada today. You can catch that interview at the top of the hour. Still ahead on Fast, JD.com soaring 6% today, getting a boost along with the other Chinese Internet names. And one trader's betting the rally could pick up steam when it reports next week. We will explain. We are live from CNBC headquarters in the snowy Angoid Cliffs, New Jersey. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Uh, JD.com soaring today along with the other Chinese Internet names. And the options market is expecting even bigger moves for the stock when it reports earnings next week. For more, let's get over to Brian Sutland at the CME with uh, the latest. Hey, Brian. Hey, Melissa. Yeah, definitely an uptick, about 20 percent increase in call volume today. 
traders playing to the upside. A lot of activity in November of options expiring on Friday. I think people kind of panicking to the upside. But when you look at the earnings picture next week on Monday, implied option move is about 6.6%, meaning the stock can move 6.6% in either direction. Historically, it has moved about 4.5%. So we could get some significant movement. And the biggest trader was the December 25 calls. They were bought for about a buck, a little higher than that. And they're basically saying, hey, I'm playing to the upside. The break even on that trade is $26 or higher. So definitely some significant more move to the upside could happen in this stock. At least that's the way option traders are playing it. And we've seen a lot of the, the retail Chinese side of it looking like they want to try and have a bottoming process here. All these stocks have been hit so hard. So people are playing options to, to sort of play to the long side now in some of these consumer Chinese names. Just quickly, Tim, would you buy any of these uh, so-called stab or bats, whatever. I don't know what you want to use. <laughs> no, I like, I like the stab. I'm a, I'm a, yeah, I'll go with stab. You know, I, I think that the valuations in, in mega cap tech China, especially in Tencent, are way overdone to the downside and look interesting. So the answer is yes. Yeah, I like stab, too. It's more, more like forceful, right? I mean, sort of. Yeah. <laughs> Brian, thanks. Brian Sutland from the CME. For more options action, check out the full show. That's tomorrow, 530 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, Final Trades. for the final trades go around the horn brian kelly so pete mentioned earlier in the show where he gets us all all his potpourri at home goods i think you look at tj maxx you buy that one grasso you want to talk about a stock that's on sale this is one that is off priced 38 percent from its high to recent low alibaba more upside tim in vegas yeah look apple i liked it at 208 i certainly like it here guy adami i'm very disappointed today (laughs) oh cut him some slack pete nigerian (laughs) FXI. I mentioned EEM. FXI as well. Big call by. All right. That does it for us here on Fast. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5. If you're on the road, be very, very careful. It's slippery out there. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.